Ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. That is B-Sides. Always with the B-Sides. Seems like every other week it's B-Sides. That's how we roll here at Danger Room. Except for you in the audience, maybe every other week is Patreon. I don't know. That's true. Who knows? We don't have a, a finite schedule, as it were. Not really. I don't even know who's editing this one yet. <laughs> yeah. All it's that all, air. all that behind the scenes stuff. Well, this is X Factor number seventy three. Yeah, this is this is indeed X Factor number seventy three, the Peter David uh let's see, run on X Factor. You started out liking this and then you felt like you were a little lukewarm on this. Where where are you now? I'm very cold on it in this issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I I'm I'm into kind of what they're trying to do, but just all of the silly jokes and stuff uh, are falling flat on me. Oh man, well, he's only going to be here for a couple more years, and then they'll switch over to somebody else who will probably have worse jokes, trying to trying to keep the same like uh, feeling going, but not quite as talented as Peter David. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> well, I know that I didn't have this issue in my collection, so back when we were collecting, I was definitely out by now. Yeah, I think I only had the first two. Yeah. Uh, but this cover here, it's uh, it's X-Factor, and they're fighting a bunch of multiple men, including multiple man, who's also fighting multiple men. Has it always been the all-new, all-different X-Factor? I think it has. Yeah, ever since number 71. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I like that. I don't know how long they're going to keep that, but well, I mean, I, obviously, it's it's a a tribute to the all new, all different X Men. Yeah, that goes without saying, but I said it anyways. They still, they still do that to this day. Of course, they do. The all new, all different Wolverine when uh, Laura turned to Wolverine. Okay, that was cool. That was the last time I remember it. The cover here proclaims multiple problems. Yeah, because it's a reference to multiple man. Oh, is that how that works? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you want more references to multiple man, Weird Al Yankovic, and what? They might be giants? Is that who that is? Yeah, they do a fake version of Weird Al. Um, it's an all-mutant parody album. Yeah. Wings on Her Fingers. Which I, wings on her fingers? Is that a reference to something? I don't think so. It, it you would think that the title would be a reference to something, but, but I don't know. It is sort of funny here. So that you got this guy who's like in traffic, and uh, he's talking with his wife, and you get the idea that maybe he's had an affair with another woman because he's I'm not with her. I broke that off. I told you about that. I'm stuck in traffic, and then she hangs up on him, and so he turns the radio on, and it's a it's a brand new cut from Weird Al's All Mutant Parody, which is available in five different editions. Collect them all. This one is set to the tune of Particle Man. Let's listen to Multiple Man, and then we get some lyrics. And I oh. thought that this guy was doing things of multiple cans. <laughs> What's he like? It's not important. Yep. I thought this guy was important, right? Because he's got a green suit with polka dots. And as far as I can tell, he's just a... I don't think he's anybody. He's just a guy with green suit and polka dots. Maybe he'll be important on the next issue. But we never see his face. We do. Oh, do we? We see it on page three as what? he falls out of the car. Yep. Wow, he's got. he's really got a nice suit. It's It's one of those... 
huge suits that I feel like was popular because of Arsenio Hall. Yeah, oversized 90s suits. Yeah, or MC Hammer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he is. he does have MC Hammer pants, so I guess this guy is just dressed like MC Hammer. Uh, he has to step out of his car because multiple mans run into his car. One suited, one... Right. One guy's got the green trench coat and a suit, and then the other guy's got his X-Factor costume on. And that's how we will know, well, I guess which side is which. I don't know that we ever actually discover who the real multiple man is in this issue, but that's basically what this issue is about, is who's the real multiple man? And and we get some interesting uh, uh, possibilities as listed out by either a fake or a real multiple man throughout this issue, but... Yeah, it's it's basically multiple men fighting, and uh, we get a, a a reporter whose name is Ariel O'Hare, and I was like, is that an April O'Neil reference? So, I said that. Oh, did you? Okay. You obviously like, absorbed that, or I completely forgot what you said. Last episode, I was like, is that an April O'Neil reference? Because I don't know. Well, and somewhere you forgot about it. Uh, it got into your mind, and you were like. Is that an April O'Neil reference? Well, Which I, I think is. I'm, I'm officially on your side. It's probably an April. Oh, well, I'm asking if it's an April O'Neil reference. Well, I think it is. I thought it was last issue. I still think it is. She's got red hair, right? Um, the polka dotted guy says, I got witnesses. I got witnesses. All the witnesses are the same guy. <laughs> I guess she doesn't have red hair. Well, she's got she's got that kind of orangey hair that could pass as red hair. If you were doing a comic book, I don't know. It's it's reddish. I like that her hair covers up the cameraman's eyes, and we just see his mouth. Oh, yeah. And the camera just kind of waving off to the side. The camera is bigger than her head. And oh, it's, yeah. And it's news in the 90s. And it's behind her. It's about the size of your uh, prosumer video camera in the 90s. Oh, I don't know. Kind of looks like a spaceship. You got the consumer camera on the the yeah, the the fellow in the wheelchair, right? Like Alienware wheelchair, even though Alienware I don't think was a thing yet. Yeah, it's not. But he's got uh, a a little rascal that he's driving in. And they call things. It's not a wheelchair. It's like the thing you see in a shopping market. Yeah, they. I think they call them little rascals. Do they? Okay. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's a. Uh, a local collo- colloquialism. No, I've heard rascal before, but I thought it was something different. I, don't I, thought, know. It, I thought you stood up in a rascal. Mm, I don't know. But I could be wrong about that. But his, uh, well, there's a lady by the guy on the rascal, and she's got a microphone? So she, I don't know if she's narrating his 8 millimeter video. Well, she says, get it all, honey. This TV news shows will eat this up, so... This woman and her husband are hoping to sell this footage to the news. But then the husband says, forget that. This goes directly to Bob Saget. Uh-huh. If you recall, back in the 90s, Bob Saget was known for two things. Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos. I haven't heard of either of those things. I only know him from his dirty, dirty, alleged stand-up. And his unfortunate death. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Bob Saget. Yeah, so they are kind. Do you ever see that movie Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal? I have, yeah. Yeah, So that's basically what they're doing, right? 
I saw that movie on an airplane. Did you? Yeah. It was. Uh, I liked it. It was. It was good. I liked it. it. Kept me awake. <laughs> All you can ask for a uh, overseas flight. So April O'Hare, I mean Ariel O'Hare, uh, introduces the the government back team called X Factor, and is already like, "Well, this isn't going very well. Everything's been flung into chaos." And then it seems to, without really giving us a narration, kind of cuts back in time. It's kind of silly that the reaction Valerie Cooper has to multiple man showing up and accusing multiple man of not being multiple man is lying on the floor in the fetal position. (laughs) She's a professional. Yeah, I mean, her initial response is to put her head up to her, to basically do the uh, home alone shaving aftershave scene, and then she falls on the ground in the fetal position. You want a Valium or something? Yeah. Uh, Let me move. I was going to scratch my nose. Is that okay? Yeah, that's that's more more super funny hijinks from Guido. Jokes are going. Oh my gosh, Jeremy loves the jokes. Jokes are bad. <laughs> I don't know if they're just trying to amp up like the Spider Man vibe, but it falls mostly falls flat for me. I don't think that. So Peter David also is writing the Hulk too much fanfare at this time period, and I don't think there's that many jokes in the Hulk. Okay, it's definitely jokey, but it's not. It's not like this where it's like everybody cracks wise every second. So I think he's just trying something different. Sure, and good for him. He's got the right sort of vibe on this team, a bunch of goofy sort of second-hand, third-string mutants on the team. Why not play around? Yeah, and I and I think he's. this is probably the least popular of the X books at this time. I would have, yeah, absolutely imagine that that's true. So he's probably not really being edited. So no. he gets to do sort of what he wants. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see how that evolution goes. Like, does it become less jokey, more jokey, or, or what? From you know, is at some point, if the editors are looking at the book sales and they're like, "This isn't doing very well," what do we got to do? I don't think Peter David lasts very long on this iteration of X Factor, but he will come back and become synonymous with X Factor hmm. after this. Well, so yeah, then they. We kind of get a rehash of, that's not multiple man, I'm multiple man, and then a little bit of back and forth, and then they just start multiplying and then fighting each other. Did So I think the flashback is a little, uh, rather than saying, like, Ariel here kind of introduces the flashback. She sort of sets it up. So it's not... It's not entirely out of nowhere. It's weird. I mean, I, kn- I know what's happening here, but it just seems like on the next page it would say, you know, one hour earlier. Well, you just got to infer that well, this, is, this is somehow Ariel O'Hare has set us back in time <laughs> so that we actually get to see what she's talking about. Right. So, yeah. Then, in the previous issue. Then they launch into their fight. Uh, a lot of quipping. There's a fun bit with Kermit the Frog here where uh, our costumed our x-factor costumed um multiple man is walking through the smithsonian because he saw one of the potentially fake multiple men walking through and kermit the frog shows up and he's like can i help you with something (laughs) multiple man says uh i'm just a little lost and kermit says have you tried Hare krishna which is a reference from the muppet movie they use that joke a lot yeah it's good stuff and uh and he's been watching the uh, the new Muppet Show. I haven't. It's it's all queued up. I just haven't 
haven't watched it yet. I'm eight episodes in, and I gotta say, it's actually pretty good. It looked like a fun premise. I expected because Disney hasn't been doing great things with the Muppets of late that it was gonna be uh, okay, just okay. Yeah, but, uh, but it's been good. I tried really hard to get into Muppets Tonight, and uh, I didn't. I didn't make it very far. Uh, which one's Muppets Tonight? I might have the name wrong. It was the one after either the first or second new movie in which I think, oh gosh, I don't remember. Is is Muppets Tonight the one where Clifford takes over and uh, Kermit's still there? Yeah, it's from maybe... It's got a whole bunch of different Muppets. It's from the 90s. No, no, no. I'm talking about the one that was uh, just... Maybe seven or so years ago. Muppets Now is what it was called. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Muppets so Tonight I, was from the 90s. I never watched that. Muppets Tonight is on YouTube. If and that, if that's the one from the 90s, yeah. that was pretty good. Okay. I've been, I've been watching that one as well. So We here at the Adam household love the Muppets. I love the Muppets too. Um, my, my wife's office is adorned with all sorts of... We've got an animal-like... Um, hand-operated puppet where you can move his eyes around and that's cool. it's really cool um and a bunch of posters and all that sort of like i found a lunchbox at a garage sale like an old 80s lunchbox from the muppet show for like two bucks that's sitting in the collection no unfortunately there's no thermos well i mean yeah you take what you can get anyway <laughs> um but honestly i mean I wish they would just redo the Muppet Show. <laughs> just redo that old thing. And uh, have you heard the new voice of Kermit? It's not like the well. So, that's true. So two guys, uh, Frank Oz, and then I forget who the new voice of Kermit is. It's obviously not Jim Henson, right? But he did Kermit for decades after Jim Henson died, and he is essentially the voice of Kermit at this point. He no longer works for Disney. Yeah, he got like like surprise fired or something like that, didn't he? Yeah, and apparently Frank Oz did as well. Oh, really? Although Frank Oz still does Yoda. I mean, huh? I don't think they would. Disney can't do anything about that. But uh, yeah, they they both say they would love to continue working uh, as Frank uh, Frank Oz as Fozzie and this other guy is Kermit. Uh, Frank Oz also was Piggy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, they're they're. Uh, even the voice of like Pepe and Bobo are different now. I don't. Those are new characters. I don't care about them. Oh, Bobo's the best. Which one's Bobo? Bobo's the big bear. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a weird choice to change his voice out. Hey, yes. whatever you say. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm Bobo. Mm, yeah. mm. That was pretty bad. But I can usually do a good Bobo, but I can't think of any more. No. So, anyways, yeah, Multiple Man just just keeps talking to this this clearly hand puppet Kermit, which is silly, and then the puppet punches, uh, punches him with his head. Right. Well, the fist that's working puppet or working Kermit punches Multiple Man, and it's it turns out it's it's the other Multiple Man. Were you surprised, Adam? There is a flaw here because Kermit raises both his hands, and <laughs> I don't know, they don't. I don't think Kermit ever really does. I guess I guess they could be connected to each other. I, I see. Guess fine. I it's see fine. they've got little little sticks on his arms, so you can you can see the mechanics there working. Usually, though, Kermit's got one hand, kind of. He doesn't raise his both 
with his hands ever at the same time. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> now, now somebody's nitpicking for sure. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, they they just know, they keep fighting. They determine that uh, X Factor determines that they need to just knock out all of the uh, Jamie Madroxes in order to get this to stop happening. Yeah. So if you find the original uh, and you knock them out, then all of the other ones will just be reabsorbed into. Yes, that is the theory that they're going on. They don't know if that's actually true. There's a Rocketeer reference. Yeah. Uh, which is, who played the Rocketeer? Oh my gosh. I don't even, I didn't see that movie. It came out a long time ago. It's critically acclaimed. It's, 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 every, everybody seems to like it nowadays. I don't know if that's nostalgia, but uh, I think I liked it at the time it came out. But whoever the kid was, apparently, who played the Rocketeer, uh, Jamie Madrox looks just like him, according to this caption. Okay. His name is Billy Campbell. Okay. Um, And in one of his little production stills, he, he kind of has similar hair to what Jamie Madrox has. So, sure, maybe. I don't know if he ever went off to do anything else. Yeah. And there's no way for any of us to look that up, so. The... Uh... <laughs> The Captain America movie, the first one that goes back in time. Yeah. Just a remake of The Rocketeer. Oh, really? Sort of. Hmm. Okay. I watched that movie, and uh, it's, I, didn't, I don't really remember much of it, other than, you know, we, we had skinny what's-his-face, and then they put him in the thing, and then he was muscly what's-his-face, Chris Evans. Obviously, that doesn't happen to The Rocketeer. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Rocketeer just has a, is like a guy with a costume. The only thing I'm familiar with about... Um, uh, the Rocketeer is everything that I've heard from the red letter media people, but I've never watched the movie and they love it. So they like Rocketeer. I love it. They oh. love it. I can't get enough of it. Allegedly. Huh. So there you go for whatever that's worth. I saw it when it came out. I don't even think I saw it in the theaters. I think I rented it, but hmm. I haven't seen it since, but I, I do recall enjoying it, but I would like to check it out again. I just remember that was in an era when, you know, any superhero movie uh, was exciting, but outside of, like, Batman, you never got, or at least I never got the superheroes I wanted to see. So I don't know if, like, Rocketeer was basically just uh, public domain, uh, and they're like, let's make a movie about this. I don't know either. But, I mean, no, it was based on a comic, but mm -hmm. beyond that. Or maybe the rights were super cheap. What else do we also got, like... The Shadow, or no, not The Shadow, the other one, the one with the purple costume. Phantom? Was yeah. that a Phantom? I never saw that one either. I didn't, I don't think I saw that and one. you got Dick Tracy. Yeah, right after Batman 89, they just started pulling everything out and making movies about it, except for what was currently popular in comics. Right. So. They couldn't get the rights to Spider-Man or the X-Men for some, whatever reason. I'm sure, I'm sure there were lots of people, like, trying to milk that, but... Well, Stanley had sold all the rights in the '80s, so like Marvel couldn't do it, but you know Fox or Sony could have. But they, I don't know, didn't. <laughs> they made those other movies instead. But it was probably for the better. Isn't that when the terrible Fantastic Four movie that uh, was made? It's not terrible, Adam. It it has the best thing costume of any Marvel movie. I'll I'll, I'll give it that. I mean, it's it's Roger it's Corman, so it's, it's boring. It is, well, I mean, it, it does what it can do with the money that was allotted to it. But yes, that was made just to hold on to the rights and make some money. 
you ever see the uh, documentary about the making of the movie and all the actors are like, we're going to make a great movie. And then at the end, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to release it. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen the first half of it. So, yeah, I've seen the actors being like, yeah, this, this is really this is really good. Yeah. Well, I mean, for what it was. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So they're they we get some other references. They're, they're in a, a museum somewhere, maybe still a Smithsonian. And they crash a, a Enterprise model. Starship Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I don't know why the Smithsonian has. Maybe they have the original. It's I would, very, yeah. So I feel like that's not an actual model. It's the that's the TV show uh, uh, version right there. It would is larger than a human being. I don't know about that. I doubt it. <laughs> I have no idea what the scale of the original model is, but yeah, I'm sure it's very big. But I don't know that it's that big. Don't know. Yeah, and then. I don't know why it would be at the Smithsonian. Why not? I guess. I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> well, if it's at the Smithsonian, I kind of want to go now. <laughs> There's also some old-timey airplane that they fight around with. But yeah, at the end of the sort of this sequence, Lorna Dane uh, uses magnetics to pull their heads together and knock them out. Which I don't understand how that works, but... Yeah, that's a good question. But, you know... Magnet. I mean, we've we've seen in the past that magnetic powers can just stand for anything. Yeah, let's just say a magnetic field. Yeah. Okay. So the last two are the ones on the little biplane, which still functions for some reason, uh, and these are the original two mm-hmm. old men, and they crash land their plane, and everybody runs to catch up to them. Then I think they're unconscious at this point because they crashed, but every Let's see. They're down and out, and we're not even in Beverly Hills. Yeah, that was a movie. Yep. Uh, the other Jamies are all vanishing back to wherever the heck it is Madrug produces them from, so I guess he does have to be conscious, except if one of these two is a dupe and they're both out, then how can they both still be here? It didn't make sense. Then April or Ariel O'Hare uh, says, hey, can you give us a... Can you give us some idea of what's going on? And she uh, she runs up to Strong Guy, and Strong Guy gives a very long speech about how it's uh, mutants are. He's sick and tired of the word mutant and his racial slur, and you know it's it's there are the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, and uh, they're not treated as poorly as mutants are. And then he says we should be called. Uh, what did he say? Genetically challenged or GCs. Or GCs. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. And then. Funnier if it stuck. We'll but. find out later that GCs sticks, at least in this comic. And everyone's yeah. like, strong guy, that's terrible. It'd be funny if it stuck throughout the Marvel Universe <laughs> like to this day. That was the turning point. Yeah. Meanwhile, we flip over to uh, the chalk guy, Professor Vic Chalker, and he's built uh, himself a mech suit. And he's like, oh, it's amazing. It's all done. All I got to do is get in it. But wah, wah, he took wrong measurements and he can't fit inside. I can't see out and I can't fit in and I can't reach the hand controls. All right. Just a major setback or my name isn't Professor Vic Chalker. So that that was a funny. Well, not funny. Supposed to be funny cutaway. Probably the funniest bit in the entire book. I'll give it that. It's, uh, it's, I don't know if that's ever going to go anywhere. I wonder if this guy, Vic Chalker, is never actually going to 
get out of this office. That would be pretty funny if he's got like all these plans for world domination. He's picked X Factor as his nemesis, but he can just never get anything going. Yeah, that that would be a pretty funny story arc. Um, so we'll see. We'll have to see. I hope that's the case. Me too. Uh, back at X Factor headquarters, the two Jamie Madrixes are now uh, imprisoned. They're, they're both sitting in prison chairs, or I don't know what you would call these. They're restrained because we also learned that in order for them to use their powers, there has to be some sort of a kinetic, like a slap, or a, they just have to be touched in a way to to push the the duplicate out. So they're completely restrained so that they can't actually cause that to happen, cause multiples to occur. And there's some fun back and forth with the two Jamie Madruxes because they both think they're made Jamie Madruxes and they're kind of uh, psychologically manipulating each other. I like this bit. I mean, the the one that's wearing a, a tie and a jacket, he's like, look, I never wanted to do any of this superhero stuff. So I made a dupe to go cover me while I went and just did touristy things. I was like, okay, well, yeah. that makes sense. And then, But then the, the supposed dupe, the guy wearing the X-Factor costume, was like, hey, Moira's island was blown up. What else was I going to do? I was tired of being, like, third string. I wanted to be a part of a team. Yep. So, yeah, both plausible. Because um, even I think I said in the first issues, like, why is, like, multiple man was introduced, like, way early in the X-Men, and nobody really did anything with him. So it was weird to, like, drag him out of that obscurity into a team. So it all tracks. Something with that. Mm-hmm. But it then took, Peter David was like, oh, Jeremy of the future. <laughs> but then somebody calls out and says, we got a big problem. They go check out the TV and they see that they're being referred to as GCs. <laughs> Challenge group. But um, Valerie Cooper, she knows how to fix this. She knows a guy who owes two favors. And those favors are that she married him, and the second favor was that she divorced him. <laughs> That's clever. I guess, sure, why not? Um, and then we get our main villain guy, who we still don't know who it is. He's just an evil person sitting in a chair. And he has now taken out, well, in his mind, he's taken out Madrox after having taken out Quicksilver. And who is next on his list? And we focus in on Strong Guy. Right. Ah, yes, of course. He will most definitely be the one. And we see Strong Guy kind of looking a little concerned. So we, all of the events that have happened so far are supposedly uh, being manipulated by this person. And I don't, I don't really know what his end goal is. He's not really taking anybody out. Does it matter? No. I guess. <laughs> Just curious to see if there's any, like, real-world... Uh, results of this. What's his What's his deal? Yeah. Well, we then turn our attention to Excalibur number 44. Yeah, that's the end of the issue. <laughs> oh, sorry, yes. Uh, to be continued on that X-Factor thing. Yeah. <laughs> so X-Factor 44, um, he's got a cover of a, of a lady who's uh, telling the fortunes of Megan, and possibly also Rachel. You are going to meet a tall, dark stranger, she says. And behind them, a tall, dark monster is coming through the curtain. None of this happens in the... I mean, they do go visit a psychic. They Yeah, they do go visit a psychic who admits she's fake. But uh, 
Tales to Terrify Timid Teenagers. Yeah, so this I must... admit she's fake. She says this crystal ball is fake. Right. But this is absolutely like a throwback to old EC Comics horror, which I kind of... I, I dig. Yeah. It's fun. But really, I mean, this whole issue is like the the League of Captain Britons has brought Brian to, I don't know, other world, some other multi-verse um, place where Captain Britons from all of these various alternate Earths are judging him for his actions. And I guess his biggest crime was that he attacked one of the locals, i.e. Nightcrawler. Yeah, he's standing trial for being... For, for what you said, but there's a whole litany of things that he has also done that they uh, hold against him. Right. And uh, at first, he wants to throttle everybody, but one of the Captain Britons convinces him that she's put herself on the line to be his lawyer, so he should uh, help out, and he does. And so, uh, yeah, we get a lot. We get a lot of this trial, and we get to see a lot of the different Captain Britons, which is fun. Yeah. We get some of. Uh, Meanwhile, back on Earth six one six, which is this the is this the origin of Earth six one six, or has it come? Have we have we established that before? What the what do you mean? The 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 Earth of the Marvel Universe is six one six. Oh, I mean, yeah, uh, Earth six one six has been seeded in some of the things that we've um, read. I feel like it's been most prominent in Excalibur, but I feel like I've seen it elsewhere. I'm gonna look it up in the internet. What's the first issue? Oh, where Earth 616 was mentioned? You should ask ChatGPT. Oh, I should, but I don't have an account. Do you need an account to do that? Probably. Um, Motion Picture Funnies Weekly. What? (laughs) (laughs) Motion Pictures Funny Weekly, created in 1939. Created by Alan Moore, Alan Davis... Oh, what? Okay. Hold on. There's a Wikipedia article. All right. So the question I've posed to ChatGPT is, in Marvel Comics, what was the first reference of Earth-616? The designation Earth-16 has its origins in Captain Britain comics from the early 1980s and can be attributed to Dave Thorpe and Alan Moore. So ChatGPT respectfully disagrees. (laughs) Oh, really? <laughs> Although you mentioned Alan Moore, right? Yeah. So this says, uh, Earth-616 was introduced in Marvel Comics as a way to designate the primary, blah, 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 blah. The actual term Earth-616 was used in Daredevil's number seven, published in 1983. The issue was written by Alan Moore and featured a character called Mad Jim Jaspers, who referred to the mainstream Marvel reality as Earth-616. Since then, the term has been widely used by fans and etc. to differentiate within the multiverse. That's what the uh, Wikipedia article. Oh, I, I thought you, uh, it, it says has has its origin in Captain Britain comics from the early 1980s, but the, those were the Daredevils. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Thanks, ChatGPT. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say thank you. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I wanna I wanna try treating ChatGPT like a human so that it takes over. Thank you. And it says, you're welcome. If you have any more questions, feel free to ask. I'm here to help. See, what a polite guy this chat GPT is. It is often credited to Moore, though Davis, Alan Davis, has said in 2007 that the term had been intentionally established earlier by uh, Dave Thorpe, Hmm. who was the previous writer for Captain Britain as part of the Captain Britain folklore. He said it came from a variation on the number of the beast. 
picked because Thorpe wasn't a fan of modern superhero genre and expressed this in his stories, such as recording his opinion of the Marvel Universe with the designation 616. Okay. So I did ask, what was Dave Thorpe's contribution to Earth 616? Uh, and I'm literally getting an essay here. Whoa. But, uh, yeah. Um, he Dave Thorpe made significant contributions to Marvel Comics, particularly to the Captain, to the character of Captain America and the concept of Earth 616. There you go. So, kids, when you're asking ChatGPT to generate your essays and reports, make sure to ask multiple questions so that you get all the information. And uh, and we have a friend who is a teacher, and you want to make sure that you erase any parts of the essay that <laughs> ChatGPT refers to itself as an AI. Right. As an AI, I can't comment on blah, blah, blah. Yeah, cut that so out of your essay. I get that you want to write your essays with <laughs> ChatGPT, but really you shouldn't be doing that. But if you are going to do that, at least reread the thing. You know, the whole thing is really strange, right? Because on the one hand, you know, if you go back to like when we were kids and you had to write a report, you'd go to the library and you'd hope that somebody else didn't pick your subject so that you had access to the encyclopedias and the books. And then you'd bring those home and you may or may not read them. And then you'd have to put your stuff in essay format. It's a big pain. Then you fast forward to, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, we'll even call it 20 years ago. The way to write an essay was maybe getting some of those books, but also just scouring the Internet for articles, Wikipedia articles, etc. But still taking that information and sort of reforming it into your own words, citing your resources, etc. I also I feel like ChatGPT is a resource in aiding in that ability to do research. Like if I have it say... Give me a report on Dave Thorpe and it writes out a bunch of stuff. The new paradigm should be, okay, that's good information. I want to read it. I want to understand it. But now I want to go and validate that. Like, where did this information come from so that, right. you know. So it just changes, in my opinion, it changes how those reports are written. Um, you can't just copy and paste it, you know, because it could yeah. be wrong. <laughs> it's people are probably trying to write an essay about and then they just copy and paste it. So it's... It's maybe you should use ChatGPT as a resource and right. just say, "Give me some information about," rather than write an essay about. Or maybe the ChatGPT should say, "Make sure you don't use this essay." <laughs> it's just like the first line, like, "Here's some information," but um, yeah, I sort of look at it as like the Star Trek: The Next Generation research. Um, process, which is basically like asking the computer, like, computer, tell us everything you know about the Ferengi. Ba 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 ba. Okay, tell us about the battle of whatever that the Ferengi were involved with, and then Riker or Picard or Data or whoever was working with the um, Major Barrett would ask a number of questions to kind of get to the root piece of what they're trying to solve. Yeah, and I I think that this is very similar to that. You can't just ask it one question and be like, "There's the answer." You have to ask a whole bunch of narrowing in questions to validate the information that you're getting is correct. Similarly, you shouldn't just copy verbatim something that's on a single web page, and you shouldn't just, going even farther back, copy something straight out of a library book. Correct. That's I agree. <laughs> Anyways, yes, exactly. Is it plagiarizing, though, if you copy ChatGPT? Probably, because <laughs> Chat, I think ChatGPT is kind of built off of plagiarizing. But like from multiple sources. Essentially, right? It's sc sc uh, scraped the internet for everything that it's got up until like I think 2020. Uh, 
and then rephrases it in its own syntax, which is really what you should be doing if you're doing your own research, is you find all those resources, you craft your paragraph, and then you write it in your own words. I mean, I guess it's plagiarizing because you're just not writing it in your own words. Yeah. That, okay. And if, if chat GPT is coming up with it, you are plagiarizing chat GPT, who isn't a real person. That's true. So, yeah. And is also probably, as we just mentioned, probably plagiarizing it from multiple sources. Very, very possible. So we also get a bunch of flashbacks of things that we've seen in a lot of those Captain Britain comics. Which is cool. I like this because having read those and uh, I like that they're they're referencing them again. Did Alan Davis draw those? I feel like he did. Yeah, maybe. Probably. Um, so for people that just learned about Captain Britain and Megan from the pages of the X-Men and the pages of Excalibur, a lot of this stuff you just wouldn't know. That, Like, for example, the fact that, you know, Megan was really just kind of a hairy monster because yeah. of her ability to kind of absorb, you know, psychic, whatever. Um, it's kind of retroactively explained that she was a monster because the people thought of her as a monster. Right. Which works with her power set. It's a nice little detail. So uh, Rachel's going to help try to break down some psychic barriers because Megan would really like to know who her parents were. Uh, as she has no memory of them, and as she does that, um, Meg or Rachel herself almost kind of, I don't know, falls apart based on she what she's finding. Me, now the structure of your memory surprised me. It's so like my own. We began to merge, which is interesting. So my Megan, butter of jumbled memories. I can't separate the ones I've lived from those I've I was programmed with. I have to live in the present. Yours is your natural state. You accept the past without opinion or regret. And you hold no dreams or aspirations for those for the future. We choose to live for the moment. It might explain the rapper we share. I didn't know they had a rapper. Well, but it, it references nine, issues 9, 15, and 19. So apparently I just wasn't paying attention. Rapport. But, rapport. Rapport. <laughs> but she does, they do have a lead, uh, the Scots who live in London, who I believe we've seen before. There was that Captain Britain thing where the, the Captain Britain was going to, uh, they, their child died or something like that. And he was going to avenge the child or something. I vaguely remember the storyline. I don't remember That's any of that. That's all I can really, I don't know if it was one of those Alan Moore stories or maybe it was one of those Dave Thorpe stories. Anyway, we cut to Alistair Stewart coming to the new, uh, mushroom Tower. This is the first time we're seeing the Mushroom Tower, isn't it? It's a giant mushroom. <laughs> it couldn't look more ridiculous if they painted it with yellow dots. <laughs> That's what Alistair Stewart sounds like. Yeah, so he, he lets himself in and immediately gets punched by one of the TechNet guys. Yeah. Turns out that the TechNet guys during their lunch hour just fight each other to practice, I guess. Apparently on the top of the dome, it's glass, and that's their workout room. Well, no, it's not their workout room because that's where Kitty and Nightcrawler go to get away from them. The dome that on on page, uh, um, I can't. What page is this on? Page nine. I don't know what page I'm on. Page nine at the bottom panel, you have Nightcrawler, Kitty, and Alistair in the dome, the glass dome. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's nobody else there. 
isn't this their like weight bench and weight sets and dumbbells and this is their workout room? Caliber's workout room. I thought you were referring to the Crazy Gang workout room. Oh no, sorry. Who, whoever that is, not yeah. the Crazy Gang. The TechNet. They have their own little thing that, and apparently that's why uh, Alistair got punched. Is on their breaks. They just like fighting each other. Every afternoon after lunch, they spend half an hour knocking the stuffing out of each other quietly, then quietly return to work. Hmm. Alien therapy stress control. Nah, they just like hitting each other. Are you ready to leave? And they leave through stairs because Kitty has... Alistair came looking for Rachel, but Kitty convinced him to go with her instead, not taking the hint that Alistair has a crush on Rachel, but Kitty has a crush on Alistair. It's weird because Alistair has... It's probably like mid thirties here, and Kitty is still a minor, but we've got a crush on an adult. She probably knows it's not going to happen. Nightcrawler still has—he's got like a broken leg and a bunch of bandages all over him, so he's still pretty beat up from the whole Captain Britain thing. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder how long that'll last. Do these guys not know or care where Captain Britain is? I—he disappeared. So I mean, you know, Megan's out with Rachel, and what are they going to do? They can't really. Can't really do anything. I guess. Like maybe they're maybe Kitty's doing some tracking, but on Earth one forty eight, that dude named Kylon is fighting a bunch of people, and it's it's a it's a two page interlude of things happening. And he's with Princess Satinine, which is Saturnine, presumably. Mm, probably, yeah. But yeah, this is just two pages of fighting. But it's the rebellion continues. Still waiting for this to be wrapped in. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the Scots, we, uh, Rachel and Megan, uh, visit this family and kind of Megan reconnects with them. And, um, Rachel does a thing where she's like aware that she has like a, like a psychic shield up and she senses so much, I don't know, calmness or love or whatever that she, she consciously drops this, uh, shield, which is fine. It's just a thing we've never really had Rachel do or talk about so uh, this is obviously setting up for something the first time she has dissipated her shield since acquiring the phoenix force mm-hmm. when was that i was don't that know just caliber? i thought that she just always had the phoenix force yeah yeah same so they go off their separate ways so josie and, and megan they go upstairs and, and rachel and the Maid? Or is this just the, the wife that wears maid, maid outfit? Uh, well, she's just wearing a black dress, so it's not really a maid outfit. She's got like the white frilly apron. This she's is got a, an apron. It's, a, it's, a, it's when she takes off the, 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 the apron, she's just got a black dress on. This is a classic maid outfit. She's wearing slippers. Well, okay, that's true. No, this is just the wife, the, the mother of the family, and she's wearing an apron and a black dress. <laughs> so, yes... It definitely has the iconic French maid feel, but it is not that. She's just making tea for Rachel. I just have- I just Googled classic maid outfit, and it is exactly this minus the fuzzy slippers. <laughs> Doesn't it also have a collar? Yeah, but we don't. Yeah. They're like a white undershirt sort we're, of thing. We're missing the white collar, and we're missing the little... A little um, tiara, I guess. But still, everything else, the black dress, the apron. It's just a woman in a black dress with an apron. No, it's the maid. It's, it's <laughs> Josie's mom is made to be the maid of this household. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, they they reference the little Mickey 
who had just died, and that's the first time they met Captain Britain. And then they tell us that this happened in the Captain Britain trade, which is not helpful. No. Because Captain Britain trade includes a bunch of stuff, including the aforementioned the Daredevils that we covered way back when. So really, if you want to know this stuff, you got to go back and find those issues, which would be easy to do if we had uh, if we if way back then we had been putting in some sort of tracking to what we were covering. Weren't those issues only released in uh, England, though? I think the they were first released in the U.S. as the Captain Britain trade paperback, which is why they keep referencing it. Oh, okay. So I didn't know if it was just like UK stuff collected in the trade paperback. Yeah. So it, it, I think it was UK only. But a lot of the Daredevils was reprinting U.S. stuff. So Okay. And it was all in black and white for some reason. Well, Josie says, you should go talk to Madam Zelda. She can see your future and past. Bum, 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 bum. Meanwhile, at the Excalibur Mushroom, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the police guy, Commander Thomas, shows up and uh, brings Miss Amelia Witherspoon, a clairvoyant, who has built up a reputation at Scotland Yard with uh, him. And they say that somebody's been, like, there's a thief. There's a thief afoot in London. And, uh, and then Carter's like, well, I, I wish I could help, but the, the Excalibur's, like, gone and stuff. And the, the only people left are the, these guys, these crazy aliens. You don't want them helping. And they're like, well, we do. Because they're superheroes and we need help because this thief is a super villain. And Nightcrawler's like, oh boy, this is going to be a crazy adventure that will take place in the next issue. Yeah. I can feel it. Meanwhile, Rachel, Josie, and Megan show up at Madame Zelda's. Uh, there's a guy wearing a turban and he's like, one only. So Megan goes up. Um, she brings out the crystal ball. She reads the palm. Megan's like, I don't want my palm read. Then Megan makes all of the lines on her palm disappear. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want my palm red. Blink. <gasps> Gasp. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. I just want to know about my parents. Madame Zelda tells all. And then we cut to flash fashion next to the edge of forever on the city streets of London. Is that where they are? No, they're not in London, are they? I don't know. I don't know where they are. Probably. They're Rachel and the daughter of the Scots is just hanging out. Waiting for Megan, they decide to go to Arfur's Antiques, A R F U R. Well, they they go there because Rachel sees something. She's like, "Do you see that? See what? Stay there, Josie." And so she lets herself into Arfur's Antiques, and there's a lion's sword that's uh, just sitting there. She... There's an invisible man, and and I think Rachel saw something move that shouldn't have moved. Right, and the first panel there, you see like a. Like a little electrical zap outside of a van. Yeah. Which, yeah. Well, that just looks... I think it's the splash of somebody stepping into... Oh, it the, could be, yeah. I think that's what it's supposed to be. It looks like there's, like, steam going off of it, though, too, so... It's, but, yeah, she sees something, and she wants to go check it out. And anyway, we find out it's an invisible man who uh, is the thief that the was being referenced previously. Rachel attacks the thief, and through some uh, it's like an energy monster yeah through some sort of uh misdirection 
it turns out that uh, the Scotland Yard superhero division force catches Rachel in the act of stealing something when in fact she is actually stealing. She's not stealing anything. She's trying to stop a theft by the invisible monster. And uh, the super division guy. Micromax. Micromax. F I six, whatever that means. I think that's like the FBI. He's I'm Micromax F I six and you're under arrest. He's got a white costume with like a little uh, with red goggles and on his chest is like a uh, like a lifeline signal. It's like a EKG, yeah. Readout, and he won't listen to Rachel. Rachel's trying to say like I, I was about to capture the guy, but you guys showed up and ruined everything. And then the uh, one of one of uh, one of the FBI, one of the like, if you if this was X file, this would be like their buddies, the little nerds shows up a human right the scientist guy's like um because you can see in the previous panel there's a bunch of cameras pointed because they i guess we're maybe setting up this heist for uh, a capture and uh they're like nope it's an energy man a vague humanoid shape showed up on the uv image enhancer it was invisible on all other wavelengths and rachel says well you just keep out of government operations in the future says micromax Megan uh, returns and says, what happened? And uh, Rachel says, nothing important. And then uh, Megan says she, the Zelda said she had heard about a magic creature that was hidden in a gypsy caravan. She thought it was a story until she met me. The last she heard, my parents had gone to France. I asked her to look into her crystal ball, but she said it was a scam. What does scam means? Rachel says, it means she was telling the truth. Well, that's good, right? That means that there's there's a lead on France and that some something happened. Meanwhile, back to the captain of cap the trial of Captain Britain, the captain of trial Britain. Uh, we just we're seeing footage of stuff. We get hippie Captain Britain. It's <laughs> kind of funny. Yep, and okay. we get yeah, so kind of a recount of all of the things that Captain Britain six one six is accused of. Uh, and the hippie man is definitely not following exactly what all the crimes are because he's mostly wrong about it. You neglected to include the guy the accused beat to death on the list of your crimes. And uh, Captain Houtman is like, that That doesn't count because he was. it was revenge because that assassin had attacked uh, Betsy Braddock and revenge is okay. <laughs> Haupton England 597, he is from the Nazi parallel universe, and we've met him before in the, the Cross Time Caper. And he's right. kind of, is he, is he the, um, is he helping our Captain Britain or is he well, like, he's, he's the prosecutor. He's the prosecutor, okay. Captain Britain, but you know, he's, he's not going to take, uh, anything that is false. Like he, he wants, he's, he's abiding by the laws of the trial. Right. So he's, he's good, but he's bad. <laughs> Captain Britain, our Captain Britain is like this is this is a farce. You've already determined I'm guilty, and uh, one of the Captain Britons is like, "Yep." And now you're sentenced to death, effective immediately, and all the Captain Britons spring into action to get ready to kill him. Next issue, Nightcrawler's Technet. That'll be fun, probably. It will. Like, the cover, it looks. It's a. They do a classic, uh, classic cover. I haven't even looked at it yet. I'll have to save that for next time. 
So that takes us to uh, Wolverine number 49. We're on the road to Wolverine number 50. It's interesting that 50, I think, gives some information, but 49 and 48 kind of don't really give any information. It's, I would like these to be and they kind of were to a degree but more more of this should have been pulled into the movies yeah probably and maybe they will i mean there's still an opportunity to to do this and i think there's definitely a a bigger tolerance for you know not just colorful shiny superheroes but i mean this whole issue is really just a journey through uh logan's swiss cheese mind that's kind of crossing wires and putting people in the wrong place uh, so it's fun. It's, it's a good psychological romp. But, you know, I remember when the Shiva scenario was advertised back in the 90s uh, of like, this starts everything. Answers are coming. Yeah. And you read this and you're like, well, OK, we we re um, uh, reaffirm some of the things that happened in Weapon X. And then everything else is like, well, uh, it could be a bad memory it could be real it could be somewhere in the middle um i don't remember issue 50 so it'll be fun to reread that but yeah 48 and 49 are basically like some of it could be real some of it could be fake you don't know a lot of the stuff that we assumed from issue 48 gets kind of wiped out in issue 49 so yeah they're definitely playing around with stuff um very much on the heels of weapon x because we get a lot of references to uh, the Weapon X Marvel Comics present story that we just covered. I mean, all things considered, like it, this is a this is a fun issue to read. Um, I think in the '90s when I read this, I was frustrated because it was it's pretty nonsensical. But when you start laying on top of like this, the possibility that it's you know fever dream or just kind of mismatched memories or or even just like a dreamlike stream of consciousness, um, it. So to set it up, last issue, uh, the Professor and Jean Grey and Wolverine set up a uh, kind of a mind voyage into Wolverine's mind so that Wolverine can explore his past uh, visually. And that's essentially what this whole issue is, is Wolverine jumping from scenario to scenario, costume to costume, uh, and he's just different parts of his life in – uh, in some of them, which may be more real than others, some of them which may be colored by actual things that happened in his life, and we don't really like as you're saying, we don't really know what is true and what is not. But lots of saber tooth here, um, right? And this this sort of feeds into X Men Origins Wolverine, where you see kind of these two characters working together throughout various historic elements in time, which is probably the best part of that movie. <laughs> the first 10 minutes. Exactly. And then just shut it off. Uh, we get some Silver Fox stuff, but is it really Silver Fox? She's like, yeah, I know you, baby. But then she tries to shoot him, and um, he sees a calendar that's got his uh, cabin in Alberta, and he's like, wait a minute, is my memory of this awesome time in my life, is it just a calendar picture? So it's some cool stuff like that. Yeah, and there's there's even some mention of what it might be. There's some, like, uh, Weapon X people talking about implanting memories and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I think you get... Uh, Heinz 
uh, and uh, the professor at the end, and they're yeah. like, oh, it's all, I've been following them, it's all unraveling. Uh, and the professor there is like, well, if he breaks through all those mental barriers, it's just going to lead him to Shiva, and Shiva's only purpose is to kill him. Right. So I thought, uh, and I know we probably talked about this. I couldn't remember if the professor and Heinz had died. <laughs> and I thought Heinz was sympathetic to Logan. Um, is it just Cornelius that was killed? Uh, it, it was, it was, un, we were unsure. I suppose it does, anything's possible because these are potentially all of Wolverine's memories, which yeah. may or may not be real. Wolverine Weapon X ends with the professor's glasses. So we we had assumed that his smash glasses indicated that at least the professor was dead. Right. And not the prof- not Professor X. Professor but- X. <laughs> professor whatever his name is. I can't remember his name. Um, the assumption that I had was that Cornelius – well, we know Cornelius is alive. Oh. Because okay. we saw him in the pages of X-Men working for the uh, the Omega Red program. Right. Uh, the professor here, he has an office that overlooks the federal capital, so he's he's a government employee, probably. So yeah, I guess I guess we're learning for the first time that the professor, in fact, survived. Because when we see Heinz and the professor, we are now outside of uh, Professor X takes Wolverine out of the the memory, yeah, journey because he feels like it's too much. Yeah, he he basically says. Uh, I think we had allowed you to cont- if we if we had allowed you to continue, you would have gone mad. Yeah, and then he kind of Wolverine's like what like crazy like an animal. I become an animal again. I'm not an animal. I'm not a Wolverine. I'm a person. And he rips off his his costume and he hops onto his motorcycle because he's just got to get some fresh air. And this is going to lead into X Men Fifty, where he will redon his yellow costume somehow. For some reason, he's got a spare in his pocket. It it's symbolic of something, and I don't remember what. Okay, <laughs> I mean I, that's that's what we were told in the pages of Marvel Age and things of that nature. Okay, <laughs> you don't remember all that? I don't remember from I, back I, then. Remember is the stuff that from that book that I read when uh, in in X Men number four, where Jim Lee was like, "I have a cool idea to get." Wolverine back into his yellow costume and then he just shows up in his yellow costume. Well, it's not really well coordinated in the books, but my recollection was that the the tease up leading to X or Wolverine number 50 was like a return to form as we unravel Wolverine's origins. Whereas in the pages of X-Men, I think he just has his yellow costume. The costume with the whiskers is where it's at. I mean, a return to the patch costume where he just wears black and an eye patch. Sure. sure. Should just, that, that should just be his new thing is I'm just patch from now on. I'm not Wolverine anymore. So I can't. Uh, yeah, it'll be fun to reread uh, Wolverine number 50 because I haven't read that probably since it uh, came out on the shelves. Same. So uh, does it reveal anything? Does it contradict things that we know from the future? Probably all of the above. <laughs> um, did you read Marvel Comics 82? Because I didn't. Uh, Marvel Comics 82 is a quick... It's it's part one of a Firestar 8-parter. Oh, my God. Where um, Emma Frost is figuring out ways to get revenge on 
uh, Firestar, but she also wants to get Firestar back into her good graces, I guess, on her team of Hellions or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she basically six Freedom Force on them somehow. Oh. Um, so we get we get Mystique, and I guess uh, Spiral is somehow on Freedom Force now. Well, she's been she was a Freedom when, Force member. Okay, I was wondering. I was going to ask when did that happen? Oh, uh, when officially? I don't remember. But she, gosh, I don't remember what the connection is. But she was absolutely a part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and then the reformed uh, Freedom Force. Okay. Well, uh, the plan seem of Gimmafrost's plan is convoluted. It's like ratting out her friend and then requiring. Firestar to have to save her friend and then Freedom Force picks up a notion of that. And it's 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 one of those stupid things that this wasn't a very good issue is what I'm getting to. And it's one of those typical first parters of trying to get to something that Marvel Comics presents is just very slow at. We're back to these difficult eight page stories that are like, get on with the story. But the worst part is that Mystique describes her just uh, disguises herself as the best friend that was uh, Firestar's best friend that was attacked. And then she comes into the house and says, we got to go. And then Firestar's like, well, wait, I don't, I don't want to go. And the mystique immediately gives up and says, all right, freedom force enter the house. And then they smash through all the walls of the house, destroying the house. And it's just like, why did you even bother? disguising yourself as somebody if you weren't going to take the time to like actually work through the problem the first sign of firestar being like wait what's going on and she just gives up huh. it was dumb okay it was uh it was a waste of mystique using her powers real mystique would have you know taken the time to like have a explanation or or would have just not done this and and freedom force smashing through the walls of this house just seems kind of out of character since they're still sort of a government outfit. I don't know. I didn't care for it. Uh, but th- that, that said, I am curious to see where this is going. Sure. That all tracks. I mean, the, the feels like people in um, Marvel comics presents are basically just kind of uh, stretching their beginning, their writing uh, careers. It seems like that, but some of them aren't. Well, but, you know, yeah, I guess these are the stories that didn't make it into the big times. We'll see. <laughs> Just fill in pages, I guess. Yeah. So then that takes us finally to um, Excalibur, uh, The Possession. So this, I think, came out a while ago. Yeah. So it's, it's continuity is a little a few months back from where we are right now. The most interesting thing about it is... Uh, it features the changeling. Remember that's the changeling? so. I was I read the first part, um, probably the first third of it, because it moves pretty quick. Um, and then I kind of like uh, I was losing interest. And then w- there's this weird segment um, about two thirds in where you're, you're getting sort of these outlined impressions uh, of folks, and it's one of them is the changeling, and he's from beyond the grave or somehow i don't remember what the explanation is he's directing the events of this whole thing i was like that's pretty neat yeah the the whole thing is uh megan is turning into a monster excalibur has to dig into why we're also digging into the uh nightcrawler being in love with megan scenario that we're 
it's kind of weird that we're also covering that same thing in Excalibur right now. Right. Uh, this is like a few months ago, so it feels the same, but it's it's from it's from a while back. Um, but the whole thing turns out to be a plot from the spirit of the changeling. Which is, you know, it's yep. funny. I didn't I didn't realize this until just now. When you open this book up, like it literally says the changeling, and then you get all your statistics, your your, your credits and stuff. Um, and I think when I saw that, I was like, oh, it's we're just it's just using the generic term the changeling. But well, I mean, it it works, right? It does. I didn't I didn't see that coming. And Megan is a changeling. Oh, that's but a good point. Yep. It, it is. It is also referencing the changeling. Um, who has, who basically says something along the lines of, uh, maybe I should just find it and read it. So I'm not just making stuff up. (laughs) I like making stuff up. He kind of talks about what happened with the X-Men and, uh, we get, uh, well, it definitely calls back to, oh, the changeling. He impersonated the professor for a bunch of years way back when. Yeah. And there is a little plot where Rachel's like, is the professor behind this? I'm getting this impression of the professor. Right. That can't be. That's early on, and you get sort of like um, a classic, you know, uh, two-digit X-Men expression of the professor in sort of like an astral form. You're like, that's a that's a neat uh, classic callback there, but which makes sense because the Changeling took on the appearance of the professor for a while um, because of plot contrivances. The Changeling... He replaced Professor X as the leader of the X-Men for a period of time. He reformed in the final months of his life, gave up the ways of evil. Why would he, even in death, be doing something like this? Why? And then the guy's like, revenge! Instead of spending the animal months of my life, or the final months. <laughs> little uh, hard to read there. Mm-hmm. Final months of my life, searching for a way to cure myself, I pose as the X-Men's mentor, enabling Professor X to accomplish his goals while I, I was left to rot in my grave. I want revenge against the man who lived while I was forced to die. And uh, he just happens to be taking um, the form of Megan, who is the perfect host for his new body that he will have because it's a changeling. Also, Doug Ramsey is here from from Beyond the Grave. There's a couple of dead people, some who I don't really recognize, that are just hanging out. Doug really doesn't do anything. He, yeah, not really. Uh, and we should also just say, like, they're not actually here. It's it's you basically have um, the the members of Excalibur and I don't know. We'll just say like a magic place, sitting around a table trying to get Megan out of her monster state. And you basically have like pencil outlines uh, along the wall of the changeling as the professor, the changeling as the changeling, and Doug Ramsey. It's kind of a, a neat little idea there. The magic place turns out to be Merlin's. Oh, that's right. Yep. There's a subplot of Something. the Merlin. Um, I can't remember if Merlin forgets, doesn't know who he is, or just doesn't want to tell Excalibur yet. I think he doesn't remember who he is. I think he doesn't remember who he is until the end of the issue. Yeah. When he, I don't know, allows Excalibur to combine all of their forces and powers to free Megan from this possession and finally put uh, the changeling down to rest. Well, maybe you would think so. But uh, a little sub note uh, in this in this in the period of times that we're reading comics, Sensational She-Hulk issue number 34 happened to read this a couple days ago and um 
Interestingly enough, the at the end of this issue, uh, the changeling is re- is resurrected as a zombie. Oh, so we might have to cover issue thirty five just to see what's going on with the changeling. But uh, there's a couple people that get resurrected, and most of them I didn't recognize. So maybe maybe you will recognize some of them. But yeah, uh, interestingly enough, the changeling is back in the pages of comics, and it's just a coincidence that we happen to be reading Excalibur, the possession at the same time as this. Yeah. So, so we'll yeah, it's a, it's a fine issue. Um, Harry Leland is one of the other ones that gets brought back as a zombie. Oh, interesting. He was killed by Nimrod. Jack Winter, the living diamond. I don't mm, know who that is. Sounds like the Jack of diamond. I was going to say that seems like an early X-Men. Um, shape-shifting scale face? I don't know who that is. Wh- who, is the, who is the Diamond Man? What's his name? Jack Winter. Jack. The Living Diamond. And they're all wearing X uniforms. Old school X uniforms. Jack Winters. Living Diamond. Uh, first appearance, X-Men number 39 in 1967. And he died in X-Men number 42. Didn't okay. yeah? Didn't like maybe a combination of let's see. Scott through Professor X's intervention, he and Scott were able to stop Jack by using a vibration beam, which shattered Jack into many atoms. As Jack refused to submit, even while Xavier explained that Jack was unstable and in danger. Living Diamond was made into a zombie by Black Talon. Yeah, uh, so, to so be that's a, this issue to be a um, part of his team. Exhumed the exhumed. Oh, that's clever. The uh, the enemy of. She-Hulk in this issue is Black Talon, who does bring back Jack Winter, the Changeling, uh, Harry Leland, and the shape-shifting Scale Face. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, as the unliving exhumed. The shape-shifting who? Scale Face. Scale Face. Uh, the shape-shifting Scale Face does not return anything useful on... Um, google <laughs> so well, whatever that tells you i'm not aware of who that is let me see if i can look it up online quickly because i have marvel um yeah she hulk nope yeah i'm not coming up with anything oh well maybe we'll cover this issue next time we do b-sides or not this issue but the next issue and we'll uh, it looks like Scale Face is a lady. Well, that's, uh, yeah, but I don't know. I'm going to ask ChatGPT. Who is the shape-shifting Scale Face in Marvel Comics? Thinking, thinking. <laughs> the character you're referring to, you, you are referring to is Mystique. Hmm. No. Yeah, so there oh. you go, kids. Uh, but then... Mystique, blah, 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 all this information. Her shape-shifting abilities, blah, 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 blah. And But it does then... Oh, never mind. I thought I was referencing She-Hulk, but I I am not seeing that. Yeah, no, this is all about Mystique, so... Wait, I got a hit. I got a hit. The first appearance of Scale-Faced was X-Factor 11 from the Mutant Massacre. Oh, so she must have been one of the... Oh! ...that was killed in the Mutant Massacre. Mutant Massacre. Where is her second appearance? That makes sense. Was she like a dragon? Um, I don't know. She's a shapeshifter, so she could have been a... Okay. There was a Morlock, and she could turn into... Like, she turned into a... Yeah, like a lizard. And then she dies. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, yeah. 
she's back. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a that's a deep cut. Yeah, but that's it. That's all we're covering. Uh, so uh, so yeah, we're we're done. Well, uh, we got some letters. Oh yeah, we do. I forgot about that. <laughs> got a bunch of stuff actually. Yeah, let's not gotta bring it up. Let's knock it out, Adam. We got uh, Mar Markant. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, a? Sure. It's capital. So I don't know if it's Marcinta or Marquinta. Doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but. This is iTunes, one of our five star reviews. So thank you for that. When I dove into reading the X titles in order as complete as I could, I was very happy to find this long running cast to listen to during the hours. I couldn't read the comics. The pinpointed in the timeline discussions makes it easy when I don't want too many spoilers for the overall story. These fellows are funny, charming, and more conscientious and kind than they would ever give themselves credit for. Well, that's very nice. Uh, their voice work is hysterical. Keep it coming. Hi from the past, present, future. That's funny. Hey, from the, I don't know, you, you always set this up. Is this hello from the future? Well, it's it's normally when we get a comment on, like, episode 100 when we're sitting on episode 200. Then it's high from the future, but by the time they actually listen to it, we'll be in the past. So, But we're still, we're always in the present. That's true. Like, the, like as we are recording these things, we're in the present. But as soon as it's put online, it's the past. But it's the future to the person who posted that letter. Is, is Mars, we don't know where Mars Sunday is in the timeline. No, but Bert JG says... Uh, timeline consistently entertaining has listened on and off for years during lockdown decided to start from the beginning while reading the comics in order that's a good use of time yeah that's that's <laughs> no i'm serious like what else were you gonna do yeah no that's that's sort of what we're here for i feel <laughs> like that's one of our one of our unspoken uh intentions is, to, is for people to just like binge this while reading the comics right and hopefully it's entertaining uh, MJJ2200 says, such a great show. I'm so far behind, but I can't wait to get through all 200 episodes I still have left. I listen to some other pom- comics podcasts over time, and they start to get too hard on the comics. The Danger Room hasn't gotten to that point yet, and I doubt Adam and Jeremy will ever get to that point. I just want to have fun and go on this journey, and they are the best company for that. Well, we appreciate it. We also want to just have fun. I don't think we are too hard. I mean, we, we you know we nitpick and we point out things that don't make sense. But I mean, it's as we get into the nineties, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how fun it remains. That's true. That's true. But I think it's just going to get kind of so bad it's good. Maybe, probably, yeah. There's probably going to be a couple of gems in there. Probably Always gems. Um. Though that's all from our iTunes, uh, um, you know, thing. So, you know, thanks, that's, thanks that's for that. Views, so thanks, thanks for those. It's it's always awesome. Uh, after the or on the website, uh, Jason Goldstein here. He says I've been listening for a couple of weeks and I love the podcast. Thank you for covering these classic stories. Um, if he's been listening for a couple of weeks, that means that there's a lot of content in front of him. Well, I don't think he's been listening for like weeks straight. Do you think like he probably listens to one a day, one every. Oh. Day. Well, I don't know, but Maybe just still. I don't know. He's only listened to two episodes. There's only so much you can listen to in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Frenchie says, bonjour, still listening to and enjoying your great podcast. Thanks for the shout out. I had totally forgotten about the previous comment. I don't know what comment that's referring to. Do you, Adam? Uh, he had made a comment. And okay. We commented on his comment. Well, and, and now- we're, 
commenting on us commenting on his comment. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't recall what the comment is. My memory is Swiss cheese now. It's becoming very uh, meta here. Keep up the great episodes. Uh, we will. Adrian Bundy off of twin- Twitter says, "Yep, never called though. Did either of you?" And that is a reference to a thing that I posted on Twitter, which if you click the little link, you can see it. Okay. I think. Well, maybe not. Who 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 are we calling? That just takes us to his uh, his Twitter. Okay. The uh, the thing that I posted on the Twitter was the I don't know if you saw this or not, but I posted the um, the X Men call in hotline. <gasps> oh. During the uh, so, if you go to our Twitter, it's it's on the feed. I do recall seeing that. Yeah. It's uh, it's the one eight hundred number that you could call, or it wasn't one eight hundred number. It cost money. Yeah, I was gonna say if it was an eight hundred number, I absolutely called it. If it was a nine hundred number, I did not call it. Yeah, it was expensive. Yeah, I can't. This just reminded me of I used to call regularly. The remember remember when there was a Mister Ed spinoff movie with uh, Bobcat Goldwaith, and it wasn't it wasn't Mister Ed. It was a Mister Ed sort of reboot. I do. I don't uh, remember what it was called, but I I did see that movie. And I don't think I even saw the movie. Oh, really? But uh, there was a phone thing where you could call, and the Mister and the horse who wasn't Mister Ed would tell you a joke. And I used to call that all the time. Hot to trot is what it was called. I think it was free. It must have been free because I would call it from a payphone. Yeah, certainly wasn't using my hard-earned dime. No, I can't. I I never called a nine hundred number. Number one, those are usually reserved for sex lines. So I don't want my <laughs> parents thinking I was calling sex lines. And then number two. A dollar ninety nine, two ninety nine a minute. I can't imagine what what hell would have been uh, descended upon me from my parents for racking up a ten dollar phone bill for five minutes of whatever you got out of that phone line. I wonder what happens if you call that number now. I'm sure it connects you to a sex line. <laughs> Are there still nine hundred numbers? It's uh, a good question. I mean, they're where would they? Why would they get rid of them? Uh, I don't know. Internet. I know the they ran out of 800 numbers, so they added a new, like, free. Here we go. Uh, in the 1990s, numbers starting with 900 were used for that purpose, and, and later numbers starting with 900 were available, but now is no longer allowed. There are no longer premium numbers. TV shows now use mobile numbers to receive calls and generate revenue to their program. Huh. Oh. So there's no 900 numbers anymore. Little factoid there. Uh, you learned something by listening to our show for reals. I mean, that's according to Wikipedia. Uh, and then Marketplace.org here says, why don't we still use 900 numbers? And then, oh, in 1992, the Supreme Court ruled against 900 numbers that provided adult services, killing businesses in that space. Huh. huh. 1990, so, yeah, that X-Men 900 number was on the cusp of, I guess, that Supreme Court decision. That's what tipped them over the edge. (laughs) What is this X-Men thing? It sounds disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. X-Men? More like sex-men. Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) Well, yeah. Never knew that I would be looking up that bit of information. (laughs) We never know what we're going to do on this show. Well, with that, uh, Adam, do you have anything else? I got nothing else. Uh, I never know. Not, Not this week. Not next week. Okay, well, uh, I also don't have anything else. So until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. (laughs) 